Welcome to the Wild Truth Chase podcast. My name is Nicholas Shaver. I'm here with my co-host Neeraj Shah. Neeraj, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well, Nicholas. I'm looking forward to today's episode. Uh, how are you doing? I'm, I'm doing pretty well. I'm also looking forward to this. Um, as unserious as this show typically is, this episode may be even less serious than, than usual. <laughs> Sometimes we try to be serious, but this time we're not even going to try. <laughs> okay. This is season to episode five, which I'm calling News Yesterday and Today. We thought it might be fun today to take a look back into the news archives. So in our exploration of the news in previous weeks, um, we ran into a few websites that archive newspapers, essentially. And some of the you know, articles we found by just browsing around in there were, were pretty funny. And I think just in general, it's fun to look back into history. And so we're going to look back in the history, and then for some of the themes, we're going to try to do some contrast with you know what's going on today with those those same themes. How does that sound? Uh, that sounds uh, that sounds super. Um, so we do have some. We've each selected some stories. Uh, we don't know what the other co-host has selected. So there's going to be a little bit of uh, not really a quiz, but kind of a guess. Can you can you guess? Uh, when the story was from and some other aspects of the story to, to today's episode. Yep. So it'll be even less coordinated than usual, too. <laughs> Usually we're we're working off a, a common set of notes, but today you haven't seen my notes. I haven't seen your notes. That's correct. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, would you like to get us started? Uh, sure. Um, just before we do, just to quickly uh, do some preamble. Um, Thanks for anyone who responded to last week's poll, uh, which the question was, what is your favorite social media site for news? Uh, we had 67% going for Twitter and 33% going for Facebook and no one going for Reddit, TikTok or something else. Um, I obviously didn't vote on this. I should have done to at least represent Reddit a little bit. Um, but those were the results. So Twitter and Facebook. Yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm on the, of those options, I'm also favoring Twitter. Twitter, yeah. You, with your quite uh, scientific news, particularly. That's um, right. If I remember. Okay, so I'm going to, I have one story. Well, I have quite a few stories, but I'm going to get started with a, with, a, with a short one. The officers of the Salvation Army here were this afternoon attacked by a mob who broke the windows and committed other excesses, but nobody seems to have been hurt. The gendarmes only appeared after the rioters had dispersed. No arrests were made. Okay, so I'm going to give you some clues to this story. So this is one from the archives. Um, the newspaper was the Times of London, but the story did not occur in the UK. It occurred in Europe, and it was quite a long time ago. Oh, man, I'm, I'm definitely going to need a lot more hints than, than okay. this. Okay. <laughs> I think one of the things we're going to learn here is that I'm, I'm, my history is very weak. So. Uh, so do you know what gendarmes are? No, I was going to ask about that word. So I think it's police, but in, or a type of police in French. So it's a French, uh, French language, but it's not France. Okay. Uh, there are a lot of Francophone countries. Um, 
it borders France. Okay, and is this is this associated with a particular like well-known historical event, or wh why would I be? Why would I know this? You wouldn't know this. I just thought it was an amusing piece of news. <laughs> <laughs> the, this, uh, the the reason why I found this was something actually I observed like uh, when reading a lot of these n newspapers from the 1800s was the sh some of the stories were really short and they only just highlight a couple of things and then they move on to the, it like the information was extremely dense in in newspapers so that was something that I don't think that you tend to see that now there's a lot more space between stories yeah that, I've noticed that too um with some of the older stories, there may be just like a few sentences long. Yeah. Um, I'm going to give you another one then, Nicholas. Again, okay. it, it's, um, it is from America. And I'm going to say, might you guess the year? All right. Again, it's not related to any, or, or at least the, uh, the sort of time period that it's uh, from. Maybe a decade. I'll, I'll go for a yeah. decade. Um, and the story is titled... The Young Man's Leisure. Young man, after the duties of the day are over, how do you spend your evenings? When business is dull and leaves at your disposal many unoccupied hours, I have known and now known many young men who, if they do, devoted to scientific or professional pursuits, the time they spend in games of chance and uh, lounging in bed might rise to any uh, eminence. That's the word. Okay. You have, you have all read of Sexton's son who became a very fine astronomer by spending a short time every evening in gazing at the stars after ringing the bell for nine o'clock. So this is like, a, why are kids playing so many video games type of yeah, the, story, it sounds <laughs> exactly, like. Exactly, yeah. yeah. But I'm going to guess that's like the 1930s version of why are kids playing so many video games. Oh, okay. All right. Um, let's see. I'm just trying to see if there's anyone else who you might know in this. Sir, well, probably not. Sir William Phipps, who at the age of 45 had attained the order of knighthood and the office of High Sheriff of New England and government of Massachusetts, learned to read and write after his 18th year of a ship carpenter in Boston. I don't know if that's... Yeah, off a ship. Right? Maybe, that's, maybe that's who he learned to read from. So actually, it's, it's an older story, Nicholas. It's uh, Older than, than what I guessed. Yes. So yeah. we're we're back in the 1800s again. We're back in the 1800s. Yeah, it's a couple of really oh, old stories. To... Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, I decades in the 1800s they have no distinction in my mind. So I'm, okay. I'm not going to be able to guess any more granularly than that. I'm gonna. It's 1857. This story is from the young man's leisure. That's what it is. So people are obviously worried about young men doing nothing with their evenings, nothing productive with their evenings, and it feels quite American. The story actually. Well, I mean, it certainly feels familiar to me. I think that story's been written probably every day in the world somewhere since, yeah, you know, true. since then. Yeah, yeah. So those were two slightly um, offbeat stories to get us started uh, or, or articles to get us started. Nick, do you want to go? Excellent. Yeah, yeah, I think you'll see I took a slightly different approach to this. But um, so this is a, a newspaper story from St. Petersburg, Florida. Okay. And I'll just read you some parts of it, you know, not, not from the beginning, some parts, and you can tell me if you can tell what's going on um, in this story here. Okay, it says, history was vindicated, the future was perpetuated, it was a time for sharing. Any ideas so far? History was vindicated, the time, wait, perpetuated, the future was perpetuated, it was yep. a time for sharing. Yeah. 
So these words, okay, so <laughs> St. Petersburg, Florida. These words sound that they're from the 1940s or 50s. Um, you're, you're you're sort of close. And by the way, the the city is a red herring here. I mean, it's just a it's an arbitrary newspaper article. I'll read you a okay. little bit more. So, doctor, lawyer, mechanic, fireman, teacher, farmer, laborer, churchman, black, white, all shared a common experience. Mankind flexed its muscles, breathed its, its vital landing. air, uttered its multisyllable tongue as one. Uh, the moon. That's right. Uh, so that's uh, July 21st, 1969. I believe that's maybe the day of or the day after the moon landing. And um, it's from uh, St. Petersburg, Florida. It was a Monday, July 21st, 1969. And uh, that day they decided to spell Monday M-O-O-N-D-A-Y. Oh, moon day. I like it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that, that was kind of fun. Uh, here's another clip from the beginning of that article. Man, that warm-blooded vertebrate whose frailty confines him to temperate zones and less than two-fifths of the Earth's surface soared full-bodied into a new epic. Wow, I like it. Also, yeah, the, the language is very much um, of a certain time. Yeah, it's cool. And actually, the, I, I was browsing around on that same page for this, uh, you know, on this paper, and it turns out, you know, and they, they always refer to this era as the space race, right? And mm -hmm. there was another smaller, much smaller article on the same page, uh, which is Luna 15 lands. Do you know what Luna 15 is? Luna 15? I do not. It was a Soviet unmanned uh, craft that, that oh. landed, I think, actually crashed into the moon right around that same time. So it was really a race going on. To, to get there, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I have another one. Okay, this is... These were all in the same edition. Well, two stories um, in the same edition of um, a newspaper. And I was somewhat surprised that they were in the same edition. The Cure of Consumption. So you, you can uh, try and guess what this is about. Today, Dr. Koch has possessed the exclusive attention of his countrymen. His paper, something or another, redacted, which was published this morning in the Deutsche Medizinische Wackenschraft um, has been copied verbatim into every evening journal and it will soon stand on the front page of every newspaper in the empire. Gosh. I, can you read this, the part where you said it was redacted again? Okay, well, I, I've redacted a bit, but yeah. Um, so uh, his paper on the cure of redacted, so that's an even slightly bigger clue, which was published this morning in the Deutsche Medicinisch Wissenschaft, I think that Wissenschaft, I can't remember, something about science, medicine, medical science, I think, has been copied verbatim into every evening journal and it will soon stand on the front page of every newspaper in the empire. Let me, let me give you another clue. Okay. Unless you want to take a guess, Nicholas. Well, it's a cure of some ailment is what I'm understanding. Okay. Yeah. So in the same paper, um, Dr. Koch has been taken ill. And the startling question has arisen whether the great physician himself is now afflicted with the particular ailment. Uh, Professor Lieberitz has apparently demonstrated that the lymph has no influence on persons who are not consumptive. It appears that Dr. Koch yesterday inoculated himself with the lymph and afterwards took a walk in the Tiergarten. While he was out, he was seized with vomiting 
Um, vomiting fits accompanied by fever and had to return home in a cab. Yeah. So what I'm what I'm realizing now is that people who are like familiar with history and or science history are going to be very frustrated listening to this because I, I can't guess what it is. But uh, what is it? What's the ailment? It's uh, tuberculosis. OK. So it and seems like so consumption was actually a, was sometimes used for tuberculosis, but I'd never come across this before, actually. Um, and I did have to look this up, right? Because basically what it was saying, two, uh, two articles in the newspaper, but Dr. Koch was saying that he had cured tuberculosis. It turned out this was not the case. He, he hadn't. Um, <laughs> in, okay. in, well, so he, he first, um, he, had discovered, he discovered the cause of tuberculosis in 1884. And then in 1890, he announced uh, the discovery of terbiculin, a substance derived from the terbicle bacilli, which he thought would be out with the which he thought would be the cure, but it turned out not to be. Okay, uh, so fake news. Yeah. <laughs> he did get a Nobel Prize, though. I think he did some good work. Unfortunately, he didn't have the cure that he thought he had. I've got another one here. This one's from the Spokane Daily Chronicle, and. Uh, I will read you something from the middle of their article. See if you can mm -hmm. tell what's going on here. The very mention of the word freedom was enough to send a great wave of emotion through the otherwise amazingly quiet crowd. The very mention of freedom. And it's Sp Spokane, Spokane. Yeah, also not, not terribly relevant. Okay. So that, that's just the, the newspaper. Um, civil rights. Very good. Can you be more okay. specific? When did by the, 1940, 1930s? Is so this is the um, August 28th, 1963 March on Washington. Oh, okay. And, but, uh, okay. you know, most famously, probably on that day, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. gave the I Have a Dream speech. And they're, you know, in this article, they note, you know, about 200,000 people um, being present in Washington, D.C. Uh, for the March on Washington, also known as uh, March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom, which was yeah, a key moment in the civil rights movement. So, actually, I was uh, I was going to guess um, Martin Luther King, but I clearly have the dates or the, the years, right? I just uh, I don't know why I didn't think <laughs> I'm pretty sure I know it's in the 60s. I don't know why I guessed the 40s. So what else did that ha article have in there, Nicholas? Well, I, you know, this is something we were discussing before we came on air. But like, if we were to read like the full text of some of these articles, we we'd sort of we might just get in trouble, you know. Okay. Um, so I'm not, <laughs> not right. going to read you the, the full <laughs> okay, text. Right. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, it starts out here. The Great March on Washington hit a peak of more than 200,000 people by police estimate. Today, even as some of the demonstrators for jobs and equal freedom for all Americans began heading away from the city. And so they talk about how people were crowding around um, some of the monuments in Washington, D.C., and then they, they interviewed some of the people who weren't able to get close enough and then were therefore, you know, like leaving because they're out of disappointment. So it's okay. sort of a weird angle on a like very important moment in American history. Hmm. Okay, so I, I have another. This this is actually is from a, a big a big event. Um, so I'm, I'm going to get slightly less obscure here. Uh, unbroken spirit. First, let it be said that our honor is bright 
amongst all the struggling units that I have seen, flotsam and jetsam of the fiercest fight in history, I saw fear in no man's face. It was a retreating and a broken army, but it was not an army of hunted men, nor in all the plain tales of officers, non-commissioned officers, and men did a single story of the white feather reach me. Okay, it's a it's a retreating army. It's a retreating army, yeah. But not broken. Not broken. I'm just trying to find a hint that might give you... Okay, well, since Monday morning, last the German advance has been one of almost incredible rapidity. So that's an, a hint about who the foe might be. You essentially have a couple of options there. Yeah, so is this a world war? Yes, it is a world war, yep. Is it the second world war? Uh, it isn't no so it's okay. the first world war okay and <laughs> so it is a retreating retreating army a british reti- retreating army so the title of the, the article is losses of the british army mons and cambry uh fight against severe odds and need for reinforcements so that the first world war spanned a f- quite a few years can you could you guess if that was at the start of the war or the towards the end of the war sounds like maybe it's at the start yeah, that's right. Yeah. So that was an article from the start of the war. Um, and it seems that the British were not doing too well. So actually, the the uh, the journalist here actually gives quite an impassioned plea for not censoring his, um, his writings. So actually, the article starts with, I read this afternoon in Amiens, this morning's Paris papers. To me, knowing some portion of the truth, it seemed incredible that a great people should be should be so kept in ignorance of the situation which it has to face. And he, he goes on to talk about how, oh, well, this, this little other bit, the papers read like children's prattle, gleanings from the war talk of their parents a week ago. So it seemed like there was some harsh reality that was, uh, that was they were on the receiving end of there. And which, which publication is this, did you say? This was the Times. Okay. Are you ready to, uh, ready to guess? Yeah, let's go for it. This might be a little too easy. So students at two schools have been discovering the screen names, favorite quotes, and political affiliations of their friends and crushes. Say that. Can you read that again? Yeah. Students at the two schools have been discovering the screen names, favorite quotes, and political affiliations of their friends and crushes. Oh, this is Facebook. Um, back in... was Where was he at? Was he at MIT, Harvard? I can't remember where he studied. Stanford? Boston. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so this is thefacebook.com. Okay. Um, so, uh, you know, I was lo- looking up lists of, like, events in history, and Mark Zuckerberg launches Facebook was, um, you know, the date I found was February 4th, 2004. And so I was searching in the archives um, for mentions of Facebook and the Facebook, as it was previously called, in 2004, and one of the earliest mentions I could find was in May of 2004. And um, this is an article from the Chicago Tribune on May 25th of 2004. And uh, yeah, I mean, he's already getting a lot of, you know, good and bad press. Um, So here it says, Harvard University sophomore Mark Zuckerberg launched the site at his school in February after growing impatient with the university's creation of an official school-wide social directory. So that was, that mm. was the, uh, the origin of this. 
And you know, we mentioned that you know one of the things we wanted to do here was to contrast news from yesterday and today. And so you know, I just popped in Facebook into the you know Google News search today and to see what comes up. And so in order to like lead us there, I'll read you the end of the 2004 article and then the start of the today's article. So they're quoting someone here who's you know using the early Facebook site and says, I don't like the whole idea of having no interest in it. Most people just use it to say, oh, I have a million friends. I'm so cool. So that's the end <laughs> of the 2004 article. And uh, here's today's article. Meta warns 1 million Facebook users their login info may be compromised. <laughs> so, and, and it goes on to say, Facebook's parent Meta is warning 1 million users uh, that their login information may have been compromised through malicious apps. So I just thought it's interesting that like, you know, where this has gone, this is being covered as a kind of like, you know, cute little story focused around universities uh, to being covered in, you know, the Washington Post in the technology section, you know, talking about, you know, there's, you know, kind of like a, a metaphorical mention uh, of like 1 million friends in the 2004 article. And there's, it's literally a million people, you know, <laughs> having their information stolen as a result, you know, whatever it is, uh, 18 years later. Um, so, I thought that was that was kind of fun. So I, I have three stories. Actually, also, to uh, I will contrast one of these with the news today. So I think three stories from American Falls Press in 1934. <laughs> I'm going to let you guess the, the title of one of these stories because it's just it's ridiculous to me that it, it's actually a, an item of note. So here's, here's this one. So writing from San Diego... San Diego, California, where they have been visiting, the former parents, Mr. and Mrs. A. M. Quain, report a most pleasant trip. Leaving here Thursday night, they arrived in San Diego Friday afternoon. Last Saturday afternoon, they were shown the San, Fr San Diego waterfront and had the privilege of inspecting the famous United States frigate, Constitution. The boat has been stationed at San Diego for some time and will remain there until next March. Can you so guess what the a story just about people going on vacation in San Diego? Yeah, I was are, why I was stunned that are it these was people in... are they famous or what's going on? I, I presume they must be famous to the town, but even that, like, if you're, I guess, if you're not from the town, there's just no way of knowing. And I just also the title. Can you have a go at guessing the title? Yeah, it's people go on vacation in San Diego. <laughs> Local couple see famous old ship. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was pretty close. You were pretty close, and I just didn't understand how that this uh, this would ever um, appear in a paper. But actually, the reason I was in this paper was I was looking for a, a story about a car crash to contrast to one from uh, one I read today. So I'll go through this this one from 1934. Injured in car accident. Mr. and Mrs. Carl Williams were both painfully bruised Monday evening when the car in which they were riding was stu struck by another car, damaging both cars to a great extent. They were leaving the, fa the Farewell Ranch near Fairview when entering the highway, their brakes refused to work and a car coming along the highway at a rapid rate of speed struck them. Okay, so that's from 1934, uh, um, a local paper news about a car accident. I'm going to read you some news today about another car accident. A Tesla car was severely damaged in a crash in Bolton as heavy rain caused chaos on roads around Greater Manchester on Friday night. Um, 
Police are now warning of the dangers of rain and urging motorists to drive to the road conditions, not the speed limit. The appeal was prompted by a spate of crashes in the bad weather, including the one that wrecked the expensive electric car. Can you guess what that story, what like the main point of that story seems to be from today? Well, it sounds like, um, I mean, there's sort of two foci as far as I can tell. One is on the fact that it's a Tesla and it's an electric car. The other is just, um, you know, the police are trying to get people to obey common sense rather than just the literal speed limit. Yeah, okay. It doesn't say anything about what happened to the people in the car. So the the article then follows with, Greater Manchester Police posted a photo of what was left of the Tesla after it crashed in a 40 mile per hour zone of the A666, which was severely affected by heavy rain and standing water when the accident happened. The cheapest Tesla currently on sale in the UK costs almost £40,000 new. That okay. Was, so, that was, so the, the which, focus is on the, the how expensive of a car was wrecked? Yeah, which I found uh, so confusing. Like, at least, I, it's unclear to me what happened to the people in the... Uh, well, at least maybe, the, the first, maybe there was nobody yeah. in it. It was just driving itself. <laughs> it could have been driving itself. That's back back to our techno optimism season. Exactly. Yeah, it was just it was just off on a journey. Um, I, I just by happenstance, on that same day, I took a bus, and um, the driver on the driver of the bus said, "You'll be safer on the bus today because I've seen loads of accidents on the road." I don't know why in particular. It was raining heavy, but not unusually heavy. I have got a story here, and um, let's see if you can tell what's going on. So I'll, I'll tell you it's a review of some kind. Okay. It never climbs above the level of Saturday morning television shows, programs intended for no one older than 15. And uh, I'll, 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 it's in the 1970s. We're in the 1970s. Can you read it again? Yep. It never climbs above the level of Saturday morning television shows, programs intended for no one older than 15. From 1970s. Um, I'll, uh, I'll give you another hint. Occasional comic relief, primarily in the form of two robots who do a kind of Laurel and Hardy act, don't help much. Two robots who do a Laurel and Hardy act. Two robots, a kid's show. Well, no, it's not necessarily a kid's show. It could be an adult show, but it never rises above... Oh. No, I don't know. Okay, here's the, the start of the article. Burn him, yelled one of the teenagers behind me as one spaceship gunning down another with laser beams filled the screen. Is this Doctor Who? I, I... <laughs> <laughs> this, is the, this is the premiere of Star Wars on oh, May I known 25th, 1977, covered in the Courier Journal of Louisville, Kentucky. So the, the headline of the article is Star Wars Twinkles for TV Cartoon Set Only. Okay, and uh, the review ends uh, with the following. Rated PG, critics' comments, nothing objectionable enough to deny the film to children. In fact, adults who really want to enjoy the movie shouldn't consider seeing it without children. So that's, that's the, uh, the 1977 article on, on Star Wars, and I decided to just sort of Google around to see what's going on with Star Wars today. And uh, this is a, you know, now we're in a modern era, so this is now a, a blog post posted four hours ago uh, on dorksideoftheforce.com. 
<laughs> okay. So it says, uh, Star Wars needs to play with more genres. And in the middle of the article, it says, Star Wars could really learn a lesson to expand uh, to all kinds of audiences. Where's the Star Wars rom-com, the workplace comedy? Can you imagine a show in the vein of The Office at a rebel base? You know, I, I think that you know maybe if we went back and asked uh, Scott Hammond, in, who wrote this article in 1977, you know, he might he might not have been able to foresee how how much uh, you know the Star Wars universe has grown, um, such that you know we're regularly getting articles on uh, DorkSideOfTheForce.com posted about <laughs> how Star Wars should continue to expand into other genres. Okay, so I, I have I have one more for you and. It is a very short one. It is one of the few articles actually I saw with a with a picture uh, from the archives. So there there weren't many articles with a picture, and this is one of the the few ones. And it was it was someone describing someone else as having the ideal fascist face. Okay, so the the person who is um, let's see, and this was meant as a um, compliment. Um, a European person and a, a famous European leader um, describing someone else with an ideal fascist face. And the, the image is, is of the person with the ideal fascist face. Okay. I'm, I'm you know, I, I don't have any particular knowledge of this. I'm going to guess Mussolini. <laughs> yeah, you're right. How did you know? <laughs> well, I mean, uh, I don't, I don't know a whole lot of fascists. Um, <laughs> So that that was going to be my first and only guess, essentially. Okay, well, that was a good guess. So this, uh, I don't, I can't comment on whether this person actually has the the ideal fascist face, but the article reads, "Like his face?" Question mark. That's the title of the article. According to Premier Benito Mussolini, Angelo Turati, Secretary General of the Fascist Party, above has the ideal fascist face. Turati is universally regarded in Italy as the ultimate successor to Mussolini. So I tried reading about, I tried to find out what happened to Angelo Turati, but I could find no information about him at all to see what happened to him in the future. But it, it just seemed, uh, yeah, th that this was one of the few with uh, an image, and this is what they what they chose, yeah. Okay, so I'll uh, I'll keep this going along the historical theme here. So the uh, title of the article, the headline is Party Time. And uh, they stage their biggest bash ever, it says. And it was quite simply the biggest party, fun-loving, redacted, ever had. Any guesses? Quite. Uh, okay, they staged their, their biggest party. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that, that rules out stuff like Woodstock and such things. Because that's not really... I don't know who there, who would be owning it. Um, they staged their biggest party. Any more? Yeah, I'll give you a couple more lines here. What a joy. This is the best thing that happened in a hundred years. Yelled another redacted man. It's crazy, it's crazy, shouted a young man from the back of seat of a car. Back seat of a car? Okay. Um... This is a historic day, and because it's such a historic moment, we ask you to keep the crossing clear, a policeman repeatedly told the crowd. Few listened. I don't know. Could you give me a year? Yep. So this is November 9th, 1989. 
1989. I feel like I should know this. I don't know. I give up. Hordes of East Berliners poured across the Berlin oh, Wall. Oh, Berlin Wall. Oh, crossing no. in their tiny <laughs> Trabant cars on foot or on packed subways. How could I not guess the Berlin Wall? So oh, that's terrible. I, uh, I wanted to check in and see what's going on with Berlin uh, today. So, you know, I Googled Berlin and, you know, this is probably at this point, you know, highly tailored to my own kind of like search history and whatnot. But um, this is the article I got from Wired.com. And the, the title is uh, Hottest Startups in Berlin. And it, uh, the first part of the article reads, Berlin remains one of Europe's starriest tech hubs, ranking the city uh, second only to London in capital investment. After its startups collectively raised $7.1 billion in 2021 alone. So nice. again, like I think a you know quite interesting contrast there. Uh, you have the Berlin Wall coming down in the, the end of 1989, and then in 2022, you know Berlin being uh, one of Europe's main tech hubs. I don't have too many others. I think some of my other ones are a little bit obscure. Let's see what. Uh, yours have. A, well, I mean, to me, yours have almost all been obscure. So <laughs> there've been more more because I've been I've liked kind of. Somebody goes on vacation in San Diego. <laughs> but that is... there, there are windows broken and a so what was it? Salvation Army. A Salvation Army. Yeah, but that's the thing. That's it. Sometimes it's amazing what makes the news. Like you, you imagine it's it. Sometimes it's the news around the edges that's that's really interesting. Yeah, but I'll, I'll leave it to the audience like... to decide like who chose the more reasonable stories. And <laughs> uh, I mean, given like what we were supposed to do, which is guess what was going on, right? I've just to recap. I've got the moon landing. The March on Washington, Facebook, Star Wars, and the Berlin Wall. And you've got a whole bunch of stuff in the 1800s that nobody's ever heard of. And then people wait, going wait, on wait. vacation oh, in I've San got, Diego. <laughs> that, that is a good story. <laughs> it, it was front page news for the, uh, what was the name of the, the paper? Exactly. Uh, <laughs> American Falls Press in 1934. <laughs> Jan- January fourth, front front page news. I had the the world first world war. I had Mussolini, so that's related to the second world war. I had tuberculosis, which granted was in the eighteen hundreds, but it wasn't that far off the the nineteen hundreds. Uh, and as a man of science, I thought you might know. Yeah, no, I am. I mean, I am overall disappointed in myself and my lack of <laughs> historical knowledge. That's that's fair. Um. Uh. I think, I mean, kind of what I liked about this, what I learned about it is that, you know, it is really fun to to look back and, and it can be enlightening to look back in, in history and we probably don't do enough of it. And so, you know, if, if one of the points of, you know, this season is to sharpen our news reading habits, you know, I think it wouldn't be a bad idea to like every once in a while when you are going to pull up today's news, just instead pull up yesterday's news and read a little bit of that. Um, I think that that might be an interesting way to, to broaden uh, the scope of your reading of the news. Yeah, I told, I, I've really enjoyed it. And, um, you know, one of the things that I've tried to do is find... I, so I, I, some, I tried to look at some of the news today and try to find similar things that had happened in the past, which has taken me on a slightly more obscure route. Um, so, for instance, a grave diggers strike. So this is um, from 1912... And it's written by The Guardian. So The Guardian is nowadays quite a left, left-wing left paper. 
and it's uh, an article about grave, dig uh, grave diggers going on strike. And um, the reason why it's relevant is there's lots of strike action happening this year in the UK as well. But the article reads, uh, the latest development of industrial unrest in Glasgow is a grave digger strike. About 30 men at three large cemeteries have struck for an increase of three shillings a week in pay, a reduction of hours of labor and six days holiday each year. The men had pickets on duty at the three cemeteries yesterday, but sufficient men have so far been secured to do the necessary work. One of the superintendents in an interview characterized the demands of the men as preposterous. They wanted the cemetery shut altogether on Saturdays at one o'clock, and that would mean there could be no funerals on Saturday. So that's an article about striking from 1912 from The Guardian. And now if we come back to today, um, so recently there's been a lot of railway strikes uh, and train strikes in the UK. So trains really haven't been running. And an article in The Guardian uh, about that today was uh, bad smell, quotation marks. Mick Lynch criticizes List Trust government as rail workers strike. Union chief Mick Lynch has compared List Trust's government to a bad smell as more than 40,000 RMT members joined a national rail strike on Saturday. Speaking at a picket line outside Euston Station in London, the RMT General Secretary criticized the incompetence, in quotes, of the new Prime Minister and Chancellor Kwasi Kwarteng, claiming it was only matched by their ego. So it's a very different sort of uh, lens on the strike. So they, they seem to be much more pro-strike than, say, they were a lot more... I, it almost seemed like they were slightly anti-strike in the in the past with the interview yeah, from I, the... Yeah, I was noting that uh, in the earlier story, they didn't... None of the gravediggers were, were quoted. Is that right? They just yeah. uh, characterized their uh, their demands and then interviewed a guy who called them preposterous. Exactly. Yeah. So it's a very different sort of... And I mean, newspapers will obviously evolve over time, but it, I just thought it was um, it was interesting to read uh, the, the difference in the same newspaper. Here's another article from actually from uh, today. A little, well, a tangentially related, but this is all currently down to cost of living in the UK at the moment. Uh, so the title is Free Money for All, How Universal Basic Income Entered the Political Mainstream. Greater Manchester, sometime in the next decade. It's near the end of the month and all 2.1 million adults living here have just had, as they do every month, £995.85p paid into their bank accounts by the government. For this, they have done nothing. It is free money, no catch or conditions. Fill your boots, spend it as you wish. Uh, I was, I was reflecting that. This that is article. an opinion piece. That's uh... Uh, no. I, well, it didn't come. To, it didn't show that it was an opinion piece, but it it may be. And I, I think this is something. I mean, it is about do. the future, so it can't be reporting. Yeah, right. exactly. But I think um, so. I made a few notes as I was going through articles today and from the archives. And one of the differences I saw was actually older articles tended to stick to just presenting the facts and not really trying to predict what might happen in the future. Whereas articles nowadays, they try and they do try and uh, take that extra leap and extrapolate a bit further ahead. So that was kind of um, something I, I saw. A couple of other things that I realized made a big difference actually were images or pictures of people. And I think this is massive, actually. So um, you can get really unflattering pictures of people in news articles today, and uh, they can be really damaging. I don't know if you 
if you've ever heard of Ed Miliband. I have. Um, so he, he was a Labour politician and he at, at some point he ran for... Um, he, I think he got the leadership of the Labour Party and then he was competing in a general election and there was a picture taken of him eating a bacon sandwich. And this picture basically sunk his whole, his whole um, campaign. Uh, which it wouldn't have been possible in the past with so few images in newspapers. Yeah. Well, I, I, I mean, I don't think we have time to do it today, but I would, you know, I'd question the, that premise, I suppose. Uh, I mean, it may mm. have appeared to happen that way, um, but, but I, don't, I don't doubt the power of, of pictures, for sure. Yeah. The, the only right. picture I found in, in my historical articles was a, a very blurry picture of the, the moon landing. It, you know, mm. it, it looks like it would not have passed muster um, at any publication today, but uh, you know, to have a picture from the moon must have been a pretty big deal back then oh yeah uh first time i guess but the the other thing that i realized was paywalls um there's a lot of newspapers that i can't access now because of paywalls so yeah it can be a bit of a pain to see what they wrote in the past and have nothing really to compare it in the present and essentially some newspapers have just dropped out of my orbit i just don't pay attention to to them anymore which made me think a little bit of uh, of Ned and and business models around news, because unless you can change the business models, how will you know say the the model of journalism actually change? But when when you've but, got people who carry your attitude of like, oh, there's a paywall, so I'll just drop it off of my radar yeah, rather than exactly. pay for it. I mean, that, that's yeah. a very harsh environment to deal with. Yeah. It, I mean, it just made me... I'll just, uh, I'll just, just go to Reddit instead and read about people's vacations <laughs> in San Diego. <laughs> it's gripping news. Gripping news. <laughs> go ahead. I was just going to ask, did you take it, were there any takeaways from you on, on comparing the archives to today? There's definitely like a, a recency bias like towards reading the news. And so, you know, most people I think would consider old newspaper articles as being sort of obsolete by definition. Um, but I guess, you know, what I think I learned by looking back at them is that, you know, there's plenty to learn. And, and actually, like, because you are looking back from a place of knowledge, you can actually look for the more interesting things, right? I mean, I think that if you just browsed randomly through newspaper archives, that could become boring, although it might be might be entertaining for a while. Um, but, you know, especially now that you have some knowledge of, you know, what has transpired, looking back into the archives can be, you know, a lot of fun and, and quite enlightening. Yeah, I agree. Totally agree. Excellent, Neeraj. Well, um, thanks for joining me with this uh, experimental episode format. And uh, we will be back next week with at least one more episode on the news. And we're hoping to make, a, you know, uh, an exciting announcement about what that will be about. But uh, we'll have to see whether we can make it happen. Yep. So yeah, watch this space. Um, yeah, it'd be it'd be it'd be great if we could. Yeah, we'll leave it with that cliffhanger. Thanks for joining me this week. Yeah, same, Nicholas. Uh, have a good week, everyone. Right, take care.